So Money Episode 563, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. It's Friday, April 21st, 2017. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It's Ask Farnoosh time when we answer your biggest money questions. We've got questions from Elliot, Kate, Heather, Karina, Sarah. If this is you, perk up because we've got some answers. And joining us, as always, is our lovely assistant, Sophia. Welcome to the show. Hey, Farnoosh. Hey, Sophia. So uh, did you do anything for Easter? That was last Friday, right? Or last weekend? So actually, I was very happy because this year, the Greek Easter and the normal Easter were on the same weekend. So it was really nice. We got to celebrate with our family. We did we paid a little homage to the Greek Easter and had lamb and spent some time with some of our Greek neighbors. So it was a lot of fun. How was your Easter? Pretty uneventful this year because we had, you know, a little baby and we just, she hasn't gotten her shots yet. And we're just sort of, and we're not that keen on taking her out to like public place. Like, you know, we've taken her out, but we're not like, you know, let's go to an Easter egg hunt with a bunch of three-year-olds that have runny noses. (laughs) But it's cute. We, we, you know, we stayed in Brooklyn and we went to the park and it was cute. Our building had a little Easter egg hunt for the little kids as they always do in the courtyard in the back. So that was cute and quiet and nothing, nothing crazy. Speaking of Greek churches though, uh, there's a beautiful Greek church up the street from my apartment and I guess so. Um, a couple months ago, they were filming Homeland on the street where oh that goodness. church is. Yeah, and I, I and then I watched Homeland. I could see the church in one of the uh, shots, and it was a pretty intense scene. There were some cars that had basically it was like a bomb scene. So they, <laughs> I don't know oh if anybody goodness. watched Homeland. If I'm spoiling anything for you, but there's an explosion in the last episode, as there are in almost every Homeland episode. There's some there's a car explosion, and it actually. We were there to see it. We were watching it and we were just happening to be strolling around the neighborhood and we caught them, all the extras. And we actually got a glimpse of Rupert Friend, who plays Peter Quinn on the show. And so that was our uh, New York moment, as we have many of those New York moments here in Brooklyn. There's so much filming going on in this neighborhood. It's pretty cool. We get to see sometimes celebrities. I, I think it's so cool to see all the behind the scenes, like just to film, you know, that whatever it lasted like 18 seconds that shot the hundreds of extras the number of car like the carnaged vehicles that they had the and of course the the staff the producers the director it was like so much money goes into making a movie and it was a sunday too so that's cool that they're all working on a sunday and show business is not sleep on Sundays, I suppose. No, no. <laughs> There's no business like show business. Anyway, so that's my little uh, tangent from the Greek church to <laughs> Rupert Friend to cars exploding on Homeland. By the way, if anybody watched Homeland this season, pretty dark, I would say. Did you watch it, Sophia? I didn't, but I saw the headline today. I watched the first two seasons and 
I saw the headline and, you know, and then I opened the article and it was like, do not read spoilers ahead. And yeah. I was like, let me just read it. And yeah. I, I read what happened. It's pretty sad. Yes, it is always a sad ending and sometimes a scary ending and sometimes a hopeful ending. Like they do an incredible job writing on that show. But I heard that they were editing it the last scene, the last episode up till a week before it aired because they tried to kind of play to what's happening politically in real life, which is probably why they had a female president in this season. They they probably booked that before they really saw what was coming. They really thought we were going to have a female president. Wait. So that didn't end up shaking out correctly. But couple of other sort of themes this season were very similar to what we're hearing now about like, quote unquote, fake news and just, you know, a president that is, how shall I say, is very layered (laughs) and hard to figure out sometimes. So anyway, it's a really good season and it's a great show if anyone's looking for something to binge on. Definitely I'm a Homeland fan. We're Homeland fans here. I watch a lot of TV in the last six weeks. Or I guess now it's been two months since Colette was born. So if you need any like picks, just email me. But Homeland definitely tops it. Billions is great, obviously, because I love anything that's like behind the scenes, Wall Street or hedge funds or money. But also Damian Lewis like steals my heart. I love him. And then I also have been watching Transparent and Catastrophe on Amazon. All really, really fun and good. Okay. <laughs> Let's get to business. Elliot's got a question for us, and it's about retirement. Tell us what's on his mind. Yeah, so he's wondering if he should put money towards more savings, a Roth IRA, or a different retirement fund, or his student loans. Right now, he's 33, making 55000 a year with 5000 in savings and 1000 in his checking. Mm-hmm. So often people really have to decide either or, right? It's not like I could say, Elliot, just do it all. And he'd be <laughs> like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? So tell me a little bit more about, does he does he share anything else about his student loans, like in terms of what the interest rates are on those loans? Yeah. So right now his student loan debt is at 76000 Many of them are small federal loans with 6 to 7.9% interest rates. Okay. And I see he's living in Brooklyn. Yes, with his is. fiance and they want to buy, I'm looking ahead, I'm, I'm sneaking a peek at his question. So he also wants to buy a home in the next three to five years in Brooklyn. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> that's that's going to cost a, a nice chunk of change depending on the neighborhood. Okay. So Elliot, I think that you're 33, you've got $76,000 in student loans and you want to buy a home in the next three to five years. On top of that, your savings is meh, not something to really write home about. 5000 is not it's not bad. It's just not really going to cover you for several months if you lose your job. So I think the priority is savings. And the reason is because hopefully with the salary that you're making, you can just put a little bit more towards savings. I would love to say that get to like 10,000 or a place where you feel you could support yourself for like four to six months in the event of Uh, you're losing your job. You can at least cover your rent. You can at least pay for your food. You can at least, you know, maintain healthcare. And that may be more than 10,000. I'm just, I'm I'm ballparking, but you know, something where you feel you have enough in and that you just check off that box. Then you work on being more aggressive with student loans. Love hearing that they're federal loans because that to me 
says that perhaps there's more flexibility there. If you need more help, you know, there's income-based repayment. You might be able to qualify for that. You could just call and maybe see about refinancing perhaps. I don't know. Maybe you can consolidate, get a smaller interest rate. Who knows? But there's just, you know, as we know, private loans uh, can be a little bit more rigid than public loans. So look into talking to your lender there and seeing what kind of modifications are available to you to maybe reduce that monthly payment a little bit, maybe extend the term. That may mean paying more interest over the life of that loan or loans, but it could give you that breathing room month to month. Then your next big hurdle is buying that home in Brooklyn. So I was just reading an article about how first-time buyers can really prepare themselves for a volatile real estate market. I know in New York, it's very emotionally tolling because there's a lot of cash buyers. People see dozens and dozens of homes before they end up even getting their bids to get through. They might love all of those homes, but there's always something you know that falls through or there's a catch. The most important thing that you can do as a first-time buyer in Brooklyn and anywhere is to have a lot in savings. So again, that's why the savings is important. From a an underwriter's perspective, having student loan debt, especially federal loans, and the fact that you're on time and you haven't been delinquent is not going to hurt you. But when they see that you don't have any savings or much to really combat that, that's when that could potentially hurt your chances of qualifying for a really good loan for your first home. So make sure that you have really built up your savings, not just your rainy day savings, but the savings that you will need to pay for the down payment. So... Think about your price range of homes and then take 20% of that and start to save that much, you and your fiance together. Hopefully you can both put your savings forces together and, um, and make it happen. But I think savings first, student loans next. And then once you've sort of maybe gotten to a happier place with savings, look to compartmentalizing savings to, to siphon more for the home, the down payment. But yeah, buying a house is no small feat. It's going to require a lot of savings. Savings is like cash is king when you're buying a home. So that's my advice for you, Elliot. Good luck. And let me know if you have any more questions about buying in Brooklyn. I am obsessed with real estate. I've purchased, I purchased in Brooklyn. It's going to be our six year anniversary coming up. And I always am curious about how prices are doing and the new developments that are going up. So send us a follow-up question if you have anything specific about buying in Brooklyn. All right. Heather also has a question about IRAs. My goodness, it's like IRA month. (laughs) I know. So right now she's in the process of opening up a Roth IRA. It's tax season. That's what it is. I think people people are like, oh, shoot, I got my taxes back. I owed a lot or whatever. How can I reduce my taxable income? Definitely. I don't know. I'm guessing. (laughs) But this is about Roth IRAs, which is not helping you reduce your taxable income, but it has the other tax benefit of being being able to withdraw tax-free. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, it's fine. So she's in the process of opening a Roth IRA online, and she currently contributes the max to her company's Roth 401k. So she's wondering what your thoughts are on traditional versus Roth IRAs. Would one be better over the other for her? And what about 401ks? Do you like the traditional 401k or the Roth 401k? All right. So let's tackle her first question, which is, which do I prefer, a Roth or a traditional IRA? And, you know, Heather, I did a whole article on the Mint blog. So go to blog.mint.com and look up Farnoosh and IRAs. And I basically did a whole piece on, you know, the difference between Roth and traditional, which one might be better for you. So The bottom line with the question about whether you should do a Roth or traditional, which is best for you, 
there are a few considerations, but I think the biggest consideration is your tax bracket in retirement. Where do you expect to land? Do you think you'll have a higher tax rate or a lower tax rate? If you think your tax rate is going to go up, then a Roth IRA may be best because with a Roth IRA, although the contributions do not lower your taxable income today, the withdrawals in retirement are made tax-free. So you're not subject to taxes in retirement. So that's where a Roth could really benefit you. Her other question about traditional 401k versus a Roth 401k, here's the thing. I mean, again, with the traditional 401k, you're talking about making contributions and then those contributions reducing your taxable income today. So if you'd rather have that benefit than allowing yourself to withdraw money from the account tax-free, which is what a Roth 401k allows you to do, then you know, you have your answer. So it's, it, and this is hard to really gauge. I get it because who knows what their tax bracket's going to be in retirement. But I think that if you're young and you're arguably making a smaller salary, chances are your tax bracket is lower now. It's going to go up later on down the road. So that's why a lot of young people are encouraged to open up the Roth IRA. And does that answer her question? I, th- I think that's about it, right? Traditional versus Roth, yep. 401k versus Roth 401k. Hopefully her 401k at work, whether it's the Roth or the traditional, offers a match. And if it does, then that would be the first thing I would invest in of all the different things that, are, that you have available to you. If whatever's matching, go there because that's where you have the free money. And check out the article on, on Mint again. It's blog.mint.com. And the article is called Everything You Ever Wanted or Needed to Know About IRAs. That was a doozy to write. All right. So we have a question here from Karina. And it's a work-related question. She wants to change departments at work because there's an opening. And she was even offered the position. But she doesn't know how to talk to her current boss without making things too awkward or dramatic. Mm, okay. So she's wondering if you have any advice. This is interesting. I just had a friend tell me about something similar happened to her where she's at a company and she's not super thrilled in her current role. And just through virtue of being at the company and talking to her coworkers, discovered an opening in another team that seems more exciting to her. And the manager of that team actually said to her, you know, we'd love to talk to you more about this. And the manager of that team, the like the cooler team, was like, let me talk to your current manager. And just so it doesn't look like I'm poaching you or that you kind of came to me in secrecy, like this happened, this conversation between them kind of happened very organically as, you know, water cooler talk happens around the office. And it wasn't as if there was any kind of secret meddling. And I think that's you know, that's, that kind of helps my friend in this case kind of come off as sort of like the innocent party, right? She just happened to find out about this opening. The manager thinks she'd be great for it. Out of courtesy, out of respect, let's talk to her manager about the opening and make sure that, you know, if this is something that my friend actually does want to do, that the transition can be done smoothly. So Karina, this is what I would suggest to you is to talk to the person who is running that department to maybe schedule a talk with your current boss and talk about how, you know, this is something that you're interested in, that, that, the, that the team would love to have you join. But we want to also make sure that your current boss is sort of in the know from the beginning and that doesn't, he or she doesn't feel 
blindsided. Sometimes it could be the case. And of course, if you're still working under the same roof with these people and like you run into the bathroom together, like that could be awkward or in the elevator together, that could be awkward, right? So you want to make sure that you're just keeping things pleasant. So I think the next step is to have this boss talk to your boss and maybe you're in on that meeting as well, just so you are aware of what is being said and that you're being represented fairly. What do you think, Sophia? We don't have different departments here at Farnoosh Inc. So if you wanted to quote unquote switch departments, I don't know, that doesn't really apply here, but has that ever happened to you in your previous jobs? It hasn't. However, I did have a few, I mean, there was definitely an opportunity to move to different departments, but I was very happy with the group that I had been working with. So it was a bit different, but I did have some coworkers and colleagues who actually one in particular who had been on my team and had thought that he wanted to be on another team and moved to that team and was not very happy and wanted to move back. Oh, And I know it was a little bit of jumping around, but I do remember talking to him about it and saying, you know, I think the best thing to do is to just sit down and be honest with your, you know, your colleague and say, I really do enjoy the opportunity that I have working with you. However, you know, there's some opportunities that maybe this position isn't allowing me to pursue that I want to, you know, try out and test out in this other opportunity. Team, yeah. This other team might, you know, allow me to to try that. And it's nothing against you. It's nothing personal. It's just something that I would be interested in doing. And that also allows your your colleague and your supervisor to maybe say, well, I didn't know you were interested in that. Maybe I can, maybe mm-hmm. there, there's some room on this team for that. Or, you know, I totally understand, you know, at least I'll see you around the office. We can still hang out and, and you know, work together on other projects. But now, you know, you're also getting some new opportunities as well. So I think, yeah, just being open and honest and, you know, but just being nice about it too. And remember too, this is work. This is business. I mean, people, Karina may be new with the company or she's on the younger side. And, um, I think when we're young and we're starting out in a company or we're kind of, uh, we're not senior, we feel like we have to tiptoe around subjects or we have to be super nice and happy and smiley and, and certainly be yourself if that's who you are. Uh, but remember too, that people switch in and out of teams a lot, you know, especially that's how people end up staying at companies for a very long time. I mean, you think you're going to stay in the same job at the same company for 15 years. And if a company does want to retain its employees, then they have to keep keeping them inspired and moving up and moving around, you know, otherwise they're going to move out. So it's to the benefit of this company kind of taking a step back. If her, if her current boss is sort of aware of what's happening in the world and also realizes that this is commonplace in companies. I think that should be understood. And so don't worry about offending them based on your desire to do this, because I think it happens a lot and it is a great way to retain employees. Because otherwise, if you aren't able to do this, Karina probably move on, you know, and then the company is suffering an even bigger loss at that point. So just keep that in mind too. I think it's always important when you're in a workplace environment that you keep a broader perspective and that hopefully will give you the confidence to do what you want to do and not feel like you're being inconsiderate or you're not, you're taking, you're taking things too personally and, you know, business is business. And yes, you want to respect your colleagues and certainly do that, but also keep the context in mind too, of what you're actually 
proposing. It's like I'm I'm proposing staying with the company and continuing to be an asset to the company. I just want to, you know, find a happier place and that should hopefully be respected. All right, room for one more question and this time from Sarah and she is curious about student loan debt and how to how to manage her her debt as she goes to a graduate program, right? Yeah, so she has a couple of questions. But she'll likely be going to grad school in the fall for a two-year master's program where she'd take on student loan debt. She will have an assistantship that should be almost enough to live off of for the duration of the program. So she's wondering how should she prepare financially right now while she's working full-time. Okie dokie. So she is working full-time right now. And has she saved up anything? Yeah. So she said she's been saving up. She doesn't say how much, but she's also been doing some dog sitting on the side and she's not really sure what else she can do. She's wondering, should she start reducing her retirement contributions? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she will have that dog sitting job, which I recommend keeping during the program and even now just keeping at it and any additional side income that you can make would be fantastic because it's going to help you be able to pay off those student loans right away when you graduate. Maybe even during the program, you can start paying the interest on those loans, but it's important that you have money when you graduate. And that may seem difficult because you're going to school, but having a side gig and thanks to the virtual economy and the side gig economy, we can do that now. Finding something simple to do virtually on the weekends when you're not studying to shore up a a chunk of change that you're going to need, you know, not just to pay off the student loans, but let's say you don't find a job right away, right? You're going to have to maintain your living costs and your expenses while you are looking for work. And so having a cushion, I would say like a three to four month cushion will be essential. Maybe you won't end up using it. So it won't be essential, but it'll be extremely helpful. And, and who no one ever complains about having savings. Like, oh, I wish I didn't save for this thing that I no longer need to pay money for. But now you can do something else with that money. So keep at this side gig, do something to, you know, build up savings. And as far as retirement contributions, maybe those will have to go on the back burner for a while. And, you know, I think most important is that you don't fall behind on the student loans, that you have some money to help you pay for your living expenses when you graduate. But as soon as you find that next job, and hopefully it's soon, you can get back to being aggressive with retirement, maybe even playing a little bit of catch up. So if you were doing 10%, maybe for the first two years that you're getting back to retirement contributions, you do 12, 15% just to kind of make up for lost time. All right. That's a wrap. Sophia, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you to Sarah and Karina and Heather and Kate and Elliot for all your great questions. We have a new Farnoosh.tv and a new SoMoneyPodcast.com. So let us know what you think of the sites. If you've discovered any bugs, any kinks, we want to know. This is kind of between now and uh, the foreseeable future. We'll be ironing out some of the issues, but hopefully nothing too crazy. But if you, of course, have a question for us, it's always simple to do that. Just go to somoneypodcast.com and then click on Ask Farnoosh. You can voice in your question, leave a voicemail or type it in and we will uh, hopefully get it in the queue ready for an upcoming episode of Ask Farnoosh. And I hope your weekend is so money. So money.